Welcome to the Ramon Foster Show, brought to you by the Get-Go Cafe and Market, where they're open 24-7, serving hot, fresh food. Moan's out in California, living large, right? <laughs> no, man. Living the dad life is all I'm doing. I'm enjoying the nice breezes. I'm enjoying the nice sunshine, but I am not living large out here, DK. I'm just living very no. humbly, man. Oh, we have here in downtown Pittsburgh these nice, like California, more like San Diego type of breezes that are running up Fifth Avenue. Oh, yeah, it's really, really, really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the people that haven't been to Pittsburgh in the summertime, it is by far the most perfect weather because you'll get some nice 70 days, man. I miss summertime in Pittsburgh. I'll be honest with you. Let's talk about um, Deshaun Watson, but from a different perspective than what most people are doing. You know, it's easy to look at it from the, you know, how does it affect the Browns? Well, obviously it affects the Browns. Um, It's easy to look at it from the, hey, what he did was wrong standpoint. Yeah, obviously, Uh, you know, presuming the allegations are accurate. But the part that I think confounds people And I've wanted to ask you this sort of thing for a long time Uh, as a former union rep. You had to be in the locker room uh, in the NFL and taking up some causes that you probably knew weren't the greatest causes. And, And here's the NFLPA in this situation having to go to bat to an extent For Deshaun to make sure that the suspension isn't over the top or that the system doesn't get abused. How complicated can that become? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know how it goes these days. As far as the optics of it, it's going to look bad. It's just why are you defending a guy? That's usually the first question that comes out. The other part of it is, you know, how, what does you defending them say? Like, are they guilty or are they innocent? And it's simply this, guys. It's a union. All NFL players are part of a union if you choose to sign it. You can, you know, choose to opt out. But I think in Pennsylvania, you're, you're, you're opted in no matter what as far as the union goes. And for that, you pay dues. And you're also represented if stuff happens to you, as if you get a DUI or you get suspended or simply you get a fine for, you know, pushing somebody extra in the game for an unsportsmanlike conduct. I'll even go as further. You had we we had to defend Vontez Burfick when he knocked out AB. That's what a union does. It tries to protect guys. And um, you're together as one. You're paying dues for those reasons also. And of course, there's nobody that knows the NFL law better than the union. So why not have the union defend you in those cases? For Deshaun's situation, whether it's the longest uh, suspension or not, he has to have defense for him. And it'll come through the NFLPA to at least argue his case to the arbitrator. When when you talk about the, the things that are important to a union that what's at the very top of the list in these settings is precedent. Yes. Uh, They don't want the owners and the commissioner to have unchecked power to be able to just wake up one morning and Mm -hmm. say, okay, I really don't like what that guy did. And I'm just going to arbitrarily independently suspend him for life. 
for five years or whatever it is. Now, I'm sure there are crimes, believe me, that people can commit that'll get you suspended for life, all right? Not to get into gross hypotheticals here. But what they're worried about isn't Deshaun. That's what you have to, uh, to understand here. Whenever I've talked to these executives in any union, in any sport, mm-hmm. they're not worried about Deshaun. They're not worried about the Cleveland Browns. No. They're worried no. about what happens to the next guy or the other guy. And they're worried about the bar that it sets. Okay, because mm-hmm. precedent is used. Precedent is used by people like me when we're writing about it. Because we'll say, hey, man, you know, Ray Rice got two games, you know. Yeah. Uh, this person over here got four. This person got six. So-and-so appealed it and got it down. This is this is what it is that they're they're focused on. It is. And, and and not just that, DK, it's also um, the NFL is a machine. It has all the networks in its palms. The NFLPA works on a smaller budget than the NFL could ever imagine, okay? And because of that, they can create narratives. And while they create those narratives, guys get kind of holes in. Fans take the league side. Fans take the other side as far as, well, look. They said it, so it's true. Well, it's almost just like going to court, DK. You have to have somebody state your case and defend you. And I'll be honest, which is kind of aggravating a little bit that the guys are automatically assumed to be guilty. Not Deshaun's situation, but just in general, as far as, well, this guy deserves to be kicked out of the league. Well, no, we've seen others do worse than this. And I say in and just common society or owners do certain things that get away with it. But when a player does it, is, is always they're guilty because I saw it and because the NFL says so. And that's one of the things I will say as far as unions, as far as the union versus the league, the league always has the, the upper hand when it comes to the optics of it. And I kind of dislike that a little bit, being a union guy, because I always believed in guys will make a mistake here or there. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they deserve to be kicked out of the league and you have the fan base that are just side-eyed the union in the sense that, well, why would you defend them? Well, that's what they're supposed to do. Everybody deserves a fair shake. And I think that's where the union comes into play is give them a fair shake to defend those guys as opposed to you're guilty just because we saw the headline. The, the union's strongest counter in this case by a mile has been, wait a second, you're doing this much to a player – but what did you do with Robert Kraft? Yep. What was that come again? What what happened with Robert Kraft? Why is there a different standard? Why is that? That's or, where – go ahead. I was going to say, or you have an owner like Ursay that has DUI and, and, and uh, substance abuse issues, and it was swept under the rug. You know, so that's that's part of the, the, the you know, the, the, the arguments for the unionists to say, well, hey, how are you going to do this and not that? And I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it's a lot more to just it being a player's thing. Everybody is underneath the shield. And I think that's one of the best things for the union to do is re- let everybody realize that no matter what, we're all trying to protect the shield and have fairness in it all. Because if we just let it go rogue and owners can do their thing and players can't do or, you know, they get they get suspended or they get find a whole lot more than the owners, I don't think it's fairness in that. And to your point, that's got to be the biggest stickler when it comes down to this Deshaun situation is, well, let's talk about Robert Kraft here for a little bit. When we come back on the Ramon Foster show, there was that one time, that one team that voted no to a labor contract. 
And we will talk conveniently enough right here on this program with one of those extraordinary individuals who was a part of that. Welcome back to the Ramon Foster Show. And as long as we're on the subject of unions and and, and stuff like that, Ramon, you were part of the Steelers team in 2011 that famously was the only one in the league that voted against ratifying a labor agreement. Now, of course, the labor agreement was still very much ratified since the other 31 voted to approve it. But the Steelers' vote inside, in the House, was 78-6 to against how did that happen? How 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 was there one team that was such an a, a remarkable and emphatic outlier to this? Well, it was because we have always been well represented. We've always been well informed. There was a few things that we didn't like about what was presented to us. One, um, the deal came down super fast. I'll never forget. We were sitting in in Latrobe because we had an idea that this was going to go through regardless um, because we were sitting at a point where we were hearing rumors that guys were getting tight on money. We were hearing rumors that, you know, guys are taking out loans. Some guys honestly just wanted to play football. They did. And and because of that, guys, you know, kind of accepted the deal. For us, Charlie Batch, Ryan Clark, and Max Starks made a very, I'm talking about detailed approach to us in everything surrounding the, the, the CBA negotiations. Whether it was money, whether it was time on the field, whether it was commissioner control, whether it was whether, you know, the way Roger Goodell at the time was ruling with an iron fist. That was also a part of it. This was also the era in which we saw James Harrison get fined, get suspended, get, you know, pretty much became the poster boy for change in the league when it came down to big time hits. And I think at one point in time, he was fined over $150,000 and maybe more than that. And we kind of just had to look at the fairness of how do you, you know, find him $100,000 for this hit, but this guy over here had the exact same hit that, you know, that that did not equate to the amount of money in which uh, James Harrison was fined. So we looked at commissioner control as one of those things. We looked at time on the field. Off-season rules was, was, was also a part of that, too. And lo and behold, I don't want to say, you know, guys kind of caved to it, but Guys wanted to play football. They had us voting on this while we were at camp. I remember being a young guy like, what the heck is going on? You know what I'm saying? As far as like, are we going to play ball and not going to play ball? And, and we're in Latrobe while this is happening. And we made the vote and went down and did the uh, conditioning test. So it was going to go through. But Charlie and Ryan and Max made sure that we were well informed on what was going to happen. And we weren't OK at the time with saying yes. Just simply because, you know, everything didn't line up the way we wanted it to. Now, did you later on, because you were obviously part of another labor negotiation, albeit a lot more directly and a lot more involved, did you feel any pressure to maintain kind of like the Steelers' legacy, I guess, in that regard? Like, well, yeah, but they were the team that voted no last time. Do you know what I mean? And I know that Marquise, for example, was not in favor yeah. Of of ratifying that next one. Um, did you yeah. feel any pressure in that regard? I honestly felt this time around that it was right uh, as far as what was offered, what was accepted. When we look at the breakdown of what was given, one thing that guys have always kind of said, and you kind of see it happening now, 
is guys wanting more money. Guys wanted more security. I don't care if you play one year in the league. I don't care if you play 15 years in the league. That was a huge part of it. So we got more money. We got more revenue uh, sharing as far as the split between the players and the union went. Also, the expanded healthcare uh, networks that we have now was a huge part of it. The pre-93 guys who were a part of before free agency took a hold of itself to where now they get more money in retirement. We boosted that up. Yes, there was some give and some take. I knew that part of it would be the 17th game. But when we presented to the guys like, hey, look, there's a possibility of adding one more game, but these are the outcomes of them. Higher market, like the floor is raised for everybody. We'll get to a point in the league in which everybody in the league will have a million-dollar minimum. And I mean that soon. When I first came into the league, my minimum was 405. When my brother first came into the league in 2007, it was 385. So now we're getting to a point where there's a million-dollar minimum to where guys that only make it one year will have the ability, DK, to at least leave this league with a nice nest egg. And they're making it better for guys as far as getting – um their post-retirement benefits also to whereas it used to be you had to jump through loopholes to get them. So it's negotiations. It's giving some take. Some guys weren't going to like it as far as the deal that we got as far as TV split, money split, revenue sharing, uh, the gambling aspect of what's brand being brought in. We got a good lion's share of that. And it'll be a bunch of people that'll push back and be like, no, you didn't. You should have caved. You should have got lifetime medical. Well, medical is also a benefit. If you get a medical benefit, it also takes away from the pot. So we had to leverage. Do you want lifetime medical or do you want more money in your pocket? What do you think guys chose? Well, more I'll money tell you, in their the, pockets. My, the cynic in me will, will always look at the NFL owner's approach as being one that they, unlike in Major League Baseball and the NHL, they will go toward the – the least expensive players, the ones that are the the hardest, uh, the, the the hardest challenged, the like the ones that you're the talking about, yeah. because their votes count the same as Tom Brady's, yep. and there are more of them than there are of Brady, and they've always been, I think, smart slash shrewd in this regard. Is that they know how to get a deal ratified? It's to go. Mm-hmm to the backup long snapper in training camp. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas baseball goes for the top of the structure. You saw Max Scherzer at those meetings and all those guys. The NFL goes right after Tyler Matakavich, and you know what I'm talking about, Moan. When we come back, it's the Hey Moan segment. Welcome back to the Ramon Foster Show. It's time for the Hey Moan segment. And today's comes from Dennis Patoka, who says, Hey Moan, when you were with the Steelers, who were the weight room heroes? Was there a competition among the players? Do the coaches keep track of the best bench press, the squats, and do they establish goals for each player? I think Dennis is thinking more about those college settings. You know what I'm talking about, where everybody's around so-and-so, and and they're going, yeah, yeah, woo, whatever here. That doesn't happen in the NFL, does it? No, absolutely (laughs) not. If you're over there doing a PR, a personal record, Hey, man, cool stuff. I love to see it on the field. (laughs) 
Hey, good for you over there. Yeah, can you keep it down a little bit? I'm going to hit this 225 eight times, man, but good job. I see you at one-on-ones. That that doesn't really happen in the NFL at all. I mean zero. Zero times does that happen, man. You have guys that you see in there that are always working on their craft. And, you know, uh, if, if you're doing like heavy, insane weights and trying to do that type of stuff, you're usually an early morning guy before the day starts. You're, you're usually a guy, man, that's just trying to, you know, get a winning edge to help you survive on the team. The guy that, that owned the weight room, you know, as far as Pittsburgh goes, is James Harrison. You know, if we were coming back from the West Coast, he would, and, and most times we arrive like three or four o'clock in the morning. He would go automatically and get his lift in directly from the plane. You know, that was him. If we were going in on a player's day off Tuesday, James Harrison was already in there, got his lift in, and, you know, he was already in the hot and cold tub doing his own thing, rehabbing. As far as, you know, guys having, you know, records they're trying to break, most of the time you're doing that type of stuff is with your trainer. You might gain, I'll be honest with you, from, from college to, to the NFL – you're pretty much set on where you're going to be as a pro. It's a matter of maintaining. I've never seen a guy go from benching, let's say, 405 to 525 as a pro. It does. It, you don't have enough time. The season's too long. There's too many other things for you to work on as far as your craft, as far as being a pro, because you can be as strong as you want to be, you know, as far as the player goes. But if it doesn't translate on to the field, it doesn't matter. I've probably seen more strong men in the weight room that didn't have long careers, that it never displayed itself on the field. James Harrison is one of the few I've seen where he had to lift to maintain. He had to lift to stay strong. One, because James isn't 6'6". So his his cutting edge was being stronger, his leverage, his flexibility. You don't see guys going in trying to get new PRs when it comes to being a pro in the league. That's, that's not a reality that most guys live in. Well, who who other than James? Just to come up with a name here, who's like a name that might surprise us, even if it's at a different position and a different standard? Do you know what I mean? Like, no ah. one's expecting a wide receiver to lift what you know what a, a James Harrison did, or or any defensive tackle guy. But who is somebody that might jump out where you'd go, "Wow, really? Like that guy was a weight room hero." You you really don't see it, DK. I'll be completely honest with you. The, the, the usual suspects you're going to find in there lifting crazy weights, offensive linemen. If I mention Cam Hayward, you'll be like, yep, he's a guy that lifts a whole lot of weights. Um, but those guys, like let's say if I was to mention the wide receiver, they're busier catching balls off the jugs. They're busier trying to figure out how they can, you know, watch more film to break down their routes. To say a guy is in there power cleaning uh, a small wide receiver, 300-pound power clean, it's just not going to happen. The, the guys at the weight room warriors, linebackers, linemen, um, let's go defensive linemen, let's go a safety or two here or there. It's, it's not a thing as far as lifting the house. I hadn't personally seen Najee lift, but I'm sure he's a guy that still has that college mentality as far as lifting and whatnot, DK. But well, certainly it's, it's from the standpoint common. of the leg press, there's no question he he probably can he could probably push this skyscraper across the street with his legs, <laughs> at, you know, at least a couple of inches. You know, I, I'll throw a fun fact there. When I was in college, I was a guy that squatted five eighty five. You know, my back just just 
when I got to the NFL, the highest I went was like 405. You know, like that wasn't something that 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 happened. And then I moved from 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 back squats to leg press because why do I need that much weight on my back? Let me go ahead and work my legs a different way. It's as Yes, yeah, it's, it's different in the NFL. Yeah, it's, it's 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 different things. You hear there's a lot of different forms of conditioning now. We can get into this on another yeah. show someday. But one of the more common terms that you hear now from professional athletes is about twitch muscles, about things that are yeah. super, super specific muscles that are in a super, super specific part of the body that allow you to have that extra little burst of yeah. energy, strength, or quickness to get you somewhere. So if you think about, for example, you know, James on one side going against an Andrew Whitworth, what's he going to do? He's going to just go under him. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. He's, yeah. Now, but if you're thinking of TJ Watt, you're thinking all about the quickness and the moves and the spin and the agility and everything. And it is, so it's a totally different set of physical everything anyway good stuff moan let's do another one tomorrow man we could go on and on Absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. 